Inspired by conversations with Food Lab folk, we began to understand these relationships that were forming as relationships based on care and mutual aid. Food Lab participants are building communities of care in which relationships are based on mutual aid, valuing and practicing generosity, support and care for food communities and the way in which food is produced, which extends out to the socio-ecological systems. You're listening to the SEI podcast series, brought to you by the Sydney Environment Institute at the University of Sydney. Welcome to the Sydney Environment Institute for this amazing talk by our very own Kate Johnson. Before we start this afternoon, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm zooming in from the land of the Gadigal people from the Eora Nation, unceded lands. As part of my acknowledgement of country, I'd like to just read you something from a book that I'm really fond of called Sand Talk, which some of you might have come across by Tyson Yunker Porter. And he says a couple of things that I think are really relevant to Kate's talk today, which is all about care. It's about Food Lab Sydney. And uh, one of the pillars of Food Lab Sydney is care. And I think for all of us, it's been uh, a, a real awakening for us in terms of just how uh, important care is, not just in our food system, but in all systems. So Tyson talks about uh, a common broad description for Indigenous ways of valuing, ways of being, ways of knowing and ways of doing. And it's, it's cool. Uh, he has a way of thinking of it. He talks about uh, the spirit, the heart, the head and the hands. But his mama Doris knows it as respect, connect, reflect and direct and she insisted on it for that order which I thought was was interesting so as I was as I was reading on she talks more about that the first step of respect is aligned with values and protocols of introduction setting rules and boundaries this is the work of your spirit your gut the second step connect is about establishing strong relationships and routines of exchange that are equal for all involved your way of being is your way of relating because all things only exist in relationship to other things. This is the work of your heart. The third step, reflect, is about thinking as part of the group and collectively establishing a shared body of knowledge to inform what you will do. This is the work of the head. The final step, direct, is about acting on that shared knowledge in ways that are negotiated by all. That is the work of the hands. So respect, connect, reflect, direct in that order. Everything in creation is sentient and carries knowledge. Therefore, everything is deserving of our respect. And I would like you to keep that in mind throughout this presentation. So Kate's going to, uh, before I introduce Kate, I'll tell you how we're going to um, operate today. We've got an, an innovative way of engaging our audience. So soon in the presentation, we're going to invite you to open a Google Doc. And um, while you're listening to Kate's presentation, we invite you to write some responses. 
she'd like to ask answer some questions and she's actually popping some up or Evie's helpfully popping it up in chat at the moment. Some questions about what what would our food system look like if care was at the centre of it, which is very much the focus of Kate's talk. And this is something that we've explored in our research at Food Lab Sydney. So Kate's going to talk for approximately 30 minutes and then we'll have an opportunity to dig into some of the responses. And um, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome Kate. Uh, this is her postdoctoral lecture, if you like. She's been um, with the University of Sydney for many years as a PhD student and later as a postdoctoral researcher on the Food Lab Sydney project, but she's much more than that. She's the ultimate package in terms of transdisciplinary research because Kate really brings her life to her work and vice versa because she has a wide experience in the food industry itself and also the non-profit sector and as well as being a doctor of philosophy, she is also an editor of a wonderful magazine called Counter, which some of you will have explored, which is a wonderful combination I find of everyday explorations of mundane eating practices but and food production practices but then goes into a lot of taboo subjects as well so it's a very uh, eclectic and entertaining and really intellectually stimulating read not to mention absolutely stunning pictorially so the next edition or issue which has just been published is bodies and maybe we can get Kate to talk a little bit about that later her current role, she's uh, taken on a job that I'm quite envious about. It sounds absolutely amazing. She's working at an organisation called Soils for Life, working with farmers and other innovators across that, that sector, and they're working on ways of developing healthier soils and especially looking at mitigating the impacts of climate change and um, all of its um, impacts on our, not only the planet, but on our health. So I'm going to hand over to Kate now to share her screen and start her presentation. Welcome, Kate. Thank you, Alana. Um, and thank you for reading out those words from um, Sand Talk. It's, it's definitely now moved up my list of summer reading. <laughs> I'd also like to acknowledge um, that I'm today talking from um, Gadigal country, uh, um, acknowledge the traditional owners of the Gadigal people of the Eonora Nation and pay my respects to elders both past, present and emerging. Um, I'd also, I have a few acknowledgements I want to get through, um, so bear with me um, before I get into the kind of meat of the talk. Um, so I'd like to acknowledge and thank the SEI team um, who I've been a, a, a part of um, for many years but kind of have been in the inner fold through this um, postdoctoral fellowship. And in particular, I'd like to just say thank you, thank you, thank you to Michelle St Anne, Eloise Fetterplace and Genevieve Wright who I've worked quite closely with and often feel very inspired by the work you do and um, really well supported in the work I do. So thank you for making this um, possible. Um, I'd also like to recognise the Food Lab Sydney team. 
Um, it's quite strange being up here and giving a postdoctoral um, lecture without you all sitting by my side because actually this has all been written well, produced collectively um, it's a really collaborative project and um, so I, I really want to kind of emphasize that 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 what I'm presenting today is like I could point to sort of and hopefully I will along the way point to where various people have kind of come in with their ideas or, or challenges and you know, created um, some of the understandings that we we kind of have today. Um, so, in particular, Professor Associate Professor Alana Mann, hello, um, Professor David Schlossberg, who both had a really bold um, idea some years ago, along with Luke Craven, who um, kind of was there at the beginning of the the project. I'd also like to acknowledge Eva Peroni, who was also with us at the beginning and, and shaped. Um, where we are today, as well as Omar Elkarouf, um, Suhani Fernando and Amanda Taylor-Short. So thank you all, as well as Jamie Loveday, who will carry on the work of Food Lab, um, and also Katrina McMillan. Even though we kind of had a, a research component and a, a sort of program component, there was a lot of um, interaction. And I often felt that the um, Katrina and Jamie kind of help me um, keep accountable to my research and, and kind of keep it real. So thank you, um, as well as contributing their, their knowledge um, and ideas. And also the Food Lab Sydney community, the people who, the participants and the wider food community who I'm also a part of in some of my other uh, roles. Um, so, yeah, this lecture today is... is reflects that kind of collaborative and really sort of data or people people driven um, research that I've been doing and I see it as a starting point for um, a kind of ideas around an ethics of care in our food community rather than a kind of conclusive talk. So just a little bit about the background to um, to this. So Food Lab Sydney for those who view who don't know, um, is an ARC linkage project um, and based here at the, the Sydney Environment Institute. And it's a partnership between the City of Sydney, TAFE New South Wales, Food Lab Detroit, from which it um, gets its name and also a kind of inspiration and a model um, for, for here. Um, and it, the, the project grew out of a concern in the City of Sydney about rising food insecurity and the challenges of addressing this solely through a food charity model. So prior to COVID-19, 8.5% of inner um, city residents reported food insecurity. And this only grew through the pandemic and included those who had never experienced food insecurity in the past. Um, so what is Food Lab? And I'm just going to do like a really brief um, explanation. And if you want to learn more, you can go to the website, follow the Instagram, Facebook and talk to Jamie. Um, so Food Lab Sydney is a not-for-profit food business incubator working to create equal opportunity for all food entrepreneurs, regardless of their background. It's also a growing community of good food businesses um, who are passionate about creating a fairer, more sustainable and more knowledgeable food system in Sydney. It offers training programs that help food entrepreneurs start their business, 
in Sydney or gain employment. From a research perspective, it's an action research pilot project that aims to explore the efficacy of an early start food business incubator as a strength-based alternative to the food charity model in addressing food security, economic opportunity and social inclusion. And our approach has been to position food security as a system issue and assess how the incubator model can build individuals' capacity um, to enter and participate in a food economy. So we've always been interested in this um, food approach, sorry, systems approach and see food security as just one of the many systems failures. So who are the people of Food Lab? Um, mostly they're female, 75%. Um, uh, I'm just going to sort of flick through these and make a few brief comments. Um, as you can, can see, uh, they come from a lot of different kind of geographical, cultural kind of areas and also a range of kind of socioeconomic um, situations. We also know from um, that some of the people experienced challenges such as homelessness in the past as well as mental health um, and disabilities. Um, our, our participants also um, have undertaken a high level of unpaid labour and offer multiple forms. So some of the research areas we looked at was around kind of opportunities for participants from vulnerable communities to develop vocational and business skills and build strong networks, improved capacity of participants to develop and maintain successful businesses or employment, and enhancement of a local kind of good food ecosystem, as well as um, food insecurity in the area. So our methods were, were multiple um, and included baseline surveys, interviews at the beginning and, you know, progress interviews after the official program had finished, as well as a way to kind of track a network tracker, which helped us to track some of the kind of quantitative aspects of, of relationships, um, informal formal check-ins and observation. Um, and I guess it's, it's worth pointing out that rather than relying on existing tools for measuring um, individual food security, which are often quite intrusive and incomplete, we've taken a systems approach. And this has used the kind of local foodscape as a lens um, to understand issues around food security. Um, and like our progress interviews sort of took a storytelling approach where we, we kind of asked um, participants to talk about their experiences of change. And we've, so we've been looking at change on both a kind of individual level and a, a systems level. Some of our findings, I'm just going to skim over these, um, are around the success of, of what we could call a multi-directional kind of assets-based learning approach, um, confidence to participate in the food system, to um, test products, experiment, to introduce, uh, like make relationships um, and so forth. The development of what we call an entrepreneurial mindset, um, thanks Alana, and also um, kind of the development of vibrant networks uh, um, that really and kind of demonstration of, of how like an idea resonated with, with the food community as well as um, uh, networks based on mutual aid and care. And it's kind of in these last two that my talk today 
focuses on. So this is something that Katrina McMillan would often say. I heard her so many times talking about this. Business is not transactional but relational. Um, And one of the core activities of Food Lab is around building with and in community. Um, From the beginning of of Food Lab, we were always interested in who's at the table, so to speak. Um, How can we work to foster more inclusive food communities? How how and why people come together around food and food injustice issues? Um, So if we understand business is not just um, transactional but relational, I guess the substance of those relationship matters. And this is the crux of what I want to talk about today. Inspired by conversations with Food Lab folk, we began to understand these relationships that were forming as relationships based on care and mutual aid. So care is not usually associated with our food system, which is often reduced to neutral or transactional relationships. A care ethic challenges the assumption that an individualistic or aggressive marketplace is possible. Um, It promotes collaboration, peer support and generosity creating alternatives to an individualistic and aggressive marketplace, as I said. It also um, is an opportunity to recognise the social and ecological context of food and make us responsive to those contexts. So this is where I'm going to invite you to to kind of jump over onto that Google jamming document um, and to kind of we are really keen to hear from you um, what your thoughts are as, as I, you know, go on, um, your experiences, your challenges, opportunities that respond to the question of what would it look like if care was central to our food systems. So an ethic of care has been explored by many scholars and I'm only going to be able to touch on a few today. It's rooted in a feminist philosophy and political movement of the 80s and 90s. Um, Carol Gilligan is an American feminist and ethicist and psychologist best best known for her work on ethical community and ethical relationships. Um, And when asked to define an ethic of care, she defines it as an ethic grounded in voice and relationships, in the importance of everyone having a voice, being listened to carefully in their own right and on their own terms and heard with respect. An ethics of care is, um, directs our attention to the need for responsiveness in relationships. So it's about a paying attention to a listening and a responding. <clears throat> Milton Mayeroff um, wrote a book in 1971 on, called On Caring. Um, and he uses the example of a father and a child relationship. And he says to care for another person is the most, in the most significant sense is to help him grow and actualize himself. And he doesn't, he's not talking only about interpersonal relationships. He's also talking about relationships that could be a relationship with an idea or a relationship with, um, you know, an, an ecological community or a kind of non-human other. <clears throat> and on that um, note, a lot of people, um, there've been a lot of kind of writing in more recent times about care in the context of multi-species justice and anthropogenic climate change. And there are probably a lot of people on this talk today who have said some really great things about this. Um, In my previous collaborations with Dr Susie Pratt, we looked at um, relationships between care and noticing um, and 
which include fostering our capacity to look and listen deeply in the company of diverse ontologies. Um, Maria Puig de Bellicaza says that care is an effective state, a ma material vital doing. And reflecting on Donna Haraway and Bellicaza, Tom Van Duren suggests caring requires more from us than abstract well-wishing. It requires that we get involved in some concrete way, that we do something wherever possible to take care of another. So in relation to food systems, we didn't find a whole lot of literature. Um, we're still looking. Um, and a lot of it was sort of centred around kind of agri-food. Uh, so this is, this is one, one scholar who's doing some interesting work there, Steve um, Giraud. And he talks about an ethic of care as, um, like he talks about putting um, care at the, the core of its practice. Um, and he's talking here about, um, about permaculture and kind of urban environments um, and the way that kind of um, care can kind of be a part of the landscape and the human environment sort of relationships. And I think there's room to extend this kind of thinking uh, beyond the kind of the, the farm and to kind of other areas of, of food systems. So now I want to turn back to Food Lab <clears throat> and look at the kinds of caring that we, we noticed. So I would, at this stage, and we're still kind of exploring some of this um, data or the rest of the team are, um, but there's sort of three typologies of care that we, we noticed. Um, one is care for food, so um, for, for kind of um, uh, food justice or, you know, a social, ec economic, ecological food kind of injustices. And there's also a broader desire to give back and help others, a care for the community. Um, and then there's care and support kind of amongst um, peers, so care for one, one another, um, as support and, and caring. <clears throat> so our research findings indicate that, that many participants, food lab participants, are building communities of care in which relationships are based on mutual aid, valuing and practising generosity, support and care for food communities and the way in which food is produced, which extends out to the socio-ecological systems. So I'll just go through these and provide a few um, quotes from, from people that really sort of speak to that. Um, so caring about food doesn't imply just a kind of interest in food, but a deep concern and a recognition that something's not right. Um, and being motivated to create practices that attend to injustices. So one of our research findings was that Food Lab Sydney resonated with people in the community. Most participants who joined the program were motivated by food injustices, either in their communities or more broadly, um, and they saw Food Lab Sydney as a way for them to ground these ideas. And many um, this for many, this kind of this focus continued throughout the program and um, evolved um, as they went through the program. So one participant said, so I'm always wondering how I can get food out there and communicate more with my local community for food security. So I thought, here's an organisation presenting support, mentorship, resources in the environment, and it would be really, really great to connect to a larger organisation that has support structures in place. 
So speaking of the uneven distribution of obesity in his community, one participant said, I thought, well, gee, wouldn't it be great if I could go into schools and do a little cooking workshop where it's just about empowering kids to make better choices around their food. Um, for some, Food Lab offered a catalyst for a shift in, in thinking about food justice, so a noticing and turning attention to a particular matter. So this, um, this person talks about um, something kind of being triggered in, in her, her mind um, during Food Lab. Um, and she said, I was really interested and fired up by all the knowledge that I got from Food Lab and with talking to all these people who had views on the food industry and agri-food business. Um, and what occurred to me was that we're not eating native foods. Um, we're not eating Australian native foods. And that's that all of a sudden triggered this, this whole thing. I said, hang on a second, this needs attention. So others spoke of a desire to give back. The relational nature of care was very clear here. Um, for example, one person said, yeah, well, I just wanted to, I know I was interested in food, I was working in hospitality, and then I don't know, I just wanted to give back to people who was going in a similar life direction that they were going in and give people some knowledge, be there for other people who were having troubles in life. Some participants had been interested in applying um, what had been working on a personal level to a community level. So speaking of ways in which she created affordable and healthy food for her home, one participant said, um, so if I'm work I know something's working, I'd love to extend that to the broader community and really um, see that there's a path forward to do this. Others were taking their personal experiences and looking to give back to particular communities. This person says, what I'm looking at is, is helping other women, Indigenous or not. We've got to get back into cooking and, you know, just helping people. I know I'll, if I have my own business or not, but I'm passionate about food. I just want to help other women that have been in similar situations. I can tell you she does have her own business and she's doing really great things now. <laughs> um, so another participant demonstrated this multi-directional learning context of Food Lab and talked about giving back through mentoring. So, and it was great to get networks through um, the course, like through Jamie, to be still in contact with him and to give back as well then through mentoring. So one of the most interesting things that I found is um, the way in which peers were interacting and sharing and the, the um, generosity that was, was taking place amongst peers. Um, so, like our, our research findings offer opportunities for multi-directional learning, um, show that Food Lab offers opportunities for multi-directional learning. Um, and this kind of learning was highly valued by participants. Many participants spoke um, positively about the diversity of the skills and knowledge due to the difference um, in age, business stage, cultural background and food industry specialisation of the group collectively. So I won't read this all, but this person just talks about the kind of the different um, qualities or the different places and experience that different people um, bring into to the group. Um, and another person adds to this and sort of talks about um, the program kind of playing to each other's strength and and um, people helping each other out depending on what they themselves 
um, you know, were, were, were good at. Um, but I guess this is more than just kind of sharing knowledge or, you know, sharing a resource on, or, or number. It's, it's um, what we saw was participants actively building relationships of mutual benefit and generosity amongst each other. So care was a core ethic of how participants engage with one another. It also seemed to be a core ethic through the wider mentor and good food community. So participants spoke of the generosity of mentors and of their peers in relation to sharing knowledge and skills and resources and engagement and also in kind of feedback with, with each other's business ideas and plans. So this really reminds me of what Mayeroff's talking about when he, he talks about care being about sort of helping another to grow and actualize a, an idea. So this person says, I think it's, it's good to have that input as well, where you know that the person you're speaking to doesn't actually have any motives. It's just we're all on the same page trying to start something, trying to help each other. And it was also at times um, people were helping those who was kind of struggling a little bit more out. Um, so this person says, when I say I can't get it, like my friends who were doing the course with me, they were always like, oh, we'll help you out. And they were in there at every step of my journey to finish the course. So one of the ways we can kind of think about this, and there are so many different sort of um, ways we could sort of frame what's, what's going on there, but let's just stick with this for the moment. It's a very common, um, you know, idea. It's, it's something that's been happening for millennia. Um, a, a man called Etienne Wegner put some words to it. So communities of practice. So communities of practice are groups of people who have a concern or a passion for something and learn how to, to kind of do it better as they interact regularly. So Etienne um, talks about three aspects of a community of practice. So there's the domain, what, what um, the group cares about. I think in this instance, um, Food Lab Sydney, it's food and the social and ecological and economic injustices of food system. Um, so they're gathering as a community and like community is about um, the quality of the relationship that bind members. And as we've seen, um, these relationships have been based on mutual um, aid, support and care. So the practice component within each community, um, developing its practice by sharing and developing the knowledge and skills of practitioners within its domain. So this includes a repertoire of tools, frameworks, methods, stories, activities, um, related to learning and innovation. And so we see like um, all of these three sort of areas happening in, in Food Lab. Um, and so over the three years at, as Food Lab Sydney Network grew, it maintained a good level of diversity as a whole. Um, so in, uh, here I'm talking about age, um, experience levels, specialisation, um, cultural background and so forth. Um, and became even stronger stronger in articulating its domain. Um, so Food Lab Sydney possesses a, a diverse repertoire of tools and opportunities for people to enhance and change their practices and thinking. So ultimately, communities of practice are about social learning and social change. And there's a whole lot that can be said about that, but not I don't have time today. So our research indicates that Food Lab participants 
are actively fostering a different type of food system by practicing care and developing um, relationships of mutual aid. Uh, so um, urban food autonomy seeks to empower people to control their food and their territories by choosing the type of food systems in which they live. Um, when food autonomy centers its action in the regular practice of care, it participates in the moral transformation of our food systems and the flourishing of a culture of care. So the Food Lab Sydney approach recognises that communities possess the assets they need to respond to long-standing inequalities driven by poverty, poor policy and other structural impediments that limit both people's access to healthy, nutritious, culturally appropriate food and their social and economic participation. We've explored this further in a co-authored article led by Omar El-Karouf. Alana began to think to look at this in relation to learning, the learning context and systems change. Um, learning in the context of food systems change is open-ended and transformative, but rooted in the life worlds of people and the encounters they have with each other, as well as their epistemologies. From a research perspective, Food Lab Sydney contributes to our understanding of how people learn, how they recognise and transcend normative thinking that prevents change, and how they negotiate the dissonance experienced in encountering alternative ways of knowing. So these, these learning encounters across different difference underpinned by a sense of support for each other, a genuine desire to see one another thrive and a common care and concern for the food that they create, to me is about the start of generating more inclusive, resilient and caring food communities. I just have a few more things to say and I haven't quite found the right words to say them so I'm just going to kind of throw the paper away a little bit and I'd <laughs> live here. But there's something I want to say as someone who is part of a, a research institution and um, like I'm not alone in saying that we've all gone through our own process of learning ourselves as people in these institutions of formal kind of learning and we're at the point at the moment where we're thinking about recommendations and ways in which elements of Food Lab could be supported by the city programs, by institutions. And this is aside from the fact that Food Lab Sydney is continuing as an organisation in its own right. But just in terms of what we can kind of what our learning sort of suggests for the city as, as a whole. And this, there's a kind of caution I want to talk about around um, taking this kind of very informal, lively um, experience of, of care and sort of finding ways to kind of create programs and I guess sort of institutionalising it a little bit. And I think of a conversation that I had with Alana and Lee Cooper from Wayside Chapel and myself recently. And Lee kind of has one of the most um, impressive critiques of care that I think is relevant to this discussion. So he's exploring future models of care and looking at the dissonance between experience of care, which he calls sort of the lived world experience, and institutions of care or the kind of systems world in which care is filtered and becomes something quite different. So the work he's kind of, I guess, um, 
some of the the um, the organisations that he's encountered are kind of some of uh, yeah what he's he's talking about there. Um, so his interest in is in how future models of care can be true to those kind of lived world experiences, and I think this is sort of relevant to where we are now. And I guess I want to sort of propose that perhaps we need to find ways to create these kind of maintain these lively informal opportunities. Um, so we could call them hubs or centres or practices of communities of practice um, for diverse people to connect, share, support, inform one another in their positions, kind of go through a social learning with just enough structure as Jamie kind of has provided in the classroom at, um, with Food Lab, but also for these communities of practice to be sort of supported by institutions and for their lived experiences and expertise to be kind of heard by the institutions. Um, that there's kind of an opportunity for the institutions themselves to go through a process of sort of social learning. So I think I'll leave it, um, leave it there and uh, would really, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what 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 you've kind of put up on the board if if there's anything there <laughs> thanks Kate I think you'll be impressed when you look at the board it's absolutely overflowing with fantastic ideas and some really good points for discussion but first of all I just want to thank you because that was an incredibly just generous and beautifully crafted and really thoughtful articulation of all of those things we've those intangible unquantifiable things that we've been trying to say about food lab you've done a wonderful job of really uh, i think drawing out so many of the really important learnings that we've had during the project and it's an amazing um effort because you and i, I want a big shout out to suhani could i who i could see nodding the whole time Suhani Fernando and Amanda Taylor-Short, two of our research assistants who really with Kate have been spending so much time extracting so much data, having done so many interviews and collected so much about the engagements between these wonderful participants. Absolutely beautiful, beautiful presentation, Kate. So I, I want Kate to have a good look at the board and I'm going to let her do that by first of all picking um, out a couple of really, really poignant points that really connect with um, Kate's talk. I wonder if um, the person who, who wrote the quote, I'm going to read it out, care is about valuing all aspects of our food, our ecosystems and our bodies. Care needs to begin with our vanishing soils mm -hmm and be incorporated mm -hmm. into the public mind's eye and perhaps within food prices too. I just like the way that you tied it in with Kate's new job with soils. And I wondered if you'd like to elaborate a little bit on Kate, Kate on what you think about those connections between, well, care for the land as well as food and our bodies and the, and the challenge of that within the market, which you alluded to. Yeah, I mean, I... I think that to me talks to um, the variety of, of places along, like it talks to me about a whole systems approach, which I think is essential to, to um, kind of transforming any system. So, you know, whether it starts at the soil or the sea, 
um, and continues to, you know, our mouths. I think it's about kind of um, noticing and bringing to the attention of the public um, along the way. It kind of actually reminds me of of the way I um, some of the research that kind of does that multi-site kind of ethnography, that sort of human geography, where you kind of you're trying to point to different places along the food system and to the very different issues um, like what what is an issue in one location for one kind of ecosystem um, and social like community is not going to be the same in another part if you follow that food along through all the different places it goes and this thing can be even the same for a very um, kind of small um supply chains as well as as long ones so I, I guess it's about kind of being able to sort of you know have attention to those those individualized sort of landscapes and seascapes um all along the way yeah that's my interpretation I don't know if I kind of added anything there or just paraphrased yeah it's very it's very place-based isn't it and we always we always knew from um, the beginning when we started working with Davida Davison at Food Lab Detroit that obviously Sydney's very different from Detroit and um, a very different story because Detroit, of course, had a bankruptcy in 2011 and African-American women in you know, start cooking food in their in their homes and selling it to their throughout their neighbourhoods to fill the gap that the big retailers had left. But they had empty land and they could grow a lot of food. Whereas in Sydney, we've got that we've got that opposite result. We've got we've got very little land for growing. Do you have a Do you have a point of view on that in terms of where food lab like programs could support? a more of an urban agriculture perspective or peri-urban? I mean, like, I actually think, I, I, I know that we have very different, um, we've got a very different situation to Food Lab Detroit and, and I guess those sort of, um, you know, issues around land and, and value and, and land sort of disappearing, that, that's, that's huge. Um, something that I've been really inspired by is some of the relationships that have formed um, with our farming communities through Food Lab. And I think originally we kind of saw this as a program that was mainly for kind of value-add um, sort of foods and, you know, quite focused in the city. But, you know, through talking to people, through interviews, I'm starting to realise that there's there were a lot of market gardeners um, and there's a really growing kind of, um, even though we have huge issues around losing land, um, peri-urban land um, and kind of historical market gardens. There's also a lot that are, are kind of are, are coming up and, and a lot of people doing those sort of smaller scale um, market type gardens. And what I saw was some really beautiful relationships amongst um, Food Lab Sydney participants around um, like experimenting on the land for a product that they were going to um, try and sell in the, the community. And those relationships are important for a number of levels, though they, that was clearly helping a participant out. They were, they were experimenting, they were trying out, 
you know, how this grew in different environments before they would kind of approach a, a farmer for a more kind of formalised relationship. But it's also about kind of breaking down those rural, urban kind of, um, you know, um, mental, <laughs> physical kind of barriers. And, you know, it's, it goes back to that, that um, original point around the sort of the whole um, chain of food supply and, mm. you know, and that point around kind of understanding those different sort of, you know, epistemological kind of like those different perspectives, let's say, those different experience, those different lived world and, and knowledge. Yeah, that different relationship, it's care for the land as well as as well as care for each other. I know I have to refer to the chat and note Katrina McMillan, another, another phrase she's well known for saying is soil, soul, society, a quote from Satish Kumar, that you should have a T-shirt, Katrina, because that's kind of your slogan. I love it. And Jamie notes that, uh, Jamie Loveday notes that it's interesting that you're, you're writing about bodies in Counter Magazine, which is a lovely, lovely synergy. Now back to our board. Kate, you stop me and anybody who wants to ask a question, you're very welcome to also put your hand up or write in the chat, please, if you want to go off, um, off the grid. But I wanted to draw on Heidi McLeod from New Zealand. Fabulous comments, Heidi. Did you want to introduce yourself and and ask Kate a question because you've made some excellent excellent comments that sort of tie into the the idea of autonomy which Kate mentioned and the idea of local communities managing their food supply and a regional perspective on food security. So Heidi says regions would be able to give in an ideal food system, give account of how food secure they were by way of food produced and consumed locally and also that that profit and productivity would not be the only measures of that food system. Do you want to say hi? Yes, I'm at the 11th hour of finishing my master's thesis looking at um, small-scale growers in a regional community in New Zealand um, that are working in an area that's really dominated by dairy farming. Um, and so I'm just looking at how land use is privileged um, for, for farming and certain uses and not... Um, you know, it's harder for small scale growers to do what they do. And um, so I'm looking at the re-socialization of food through um, small growers. So the care topic is, is really close to that and really useful. So I've been scribbling down lots of notes. Um, and one thing that occurred to me is that, you know, there's so much data about how valuable, you know, exports are and how much food we, you know, New Zealand sends overseas. And it would be really amazing if we were able to quantify um, what was being produced um, within, an, uh, you know, a really localised area that was being consumed locally as well. So that's just a little, um, um, just some... Uh, uh, something that I want to do when I go forward um, with my PhD next year, looking at value chains and looking at how they might be measured differently. So I'm not sure if I have a question, but um, I just I just have that comment. If anyone mm -hmm. has anything to add to that or whatever that would be, that would be good to hear the feedback. Would you, do you have any comments, Kate? Yeah, I actually had a comment and then I like disappeared from my mind. So sorry. But um, I... I'm really interested in this and I guess, yeah, it's, it's um, like one, we know that actually around the world um, most of our food is produced by the small-scale farmers 
globally. Um, I'm really keen to find out about what that looks like on kind of a national scale in Australia as well. And I'm hoping my new, in my new um, role to kind of look into that, um, particularly in the area of kind of horticulture. I think that's a sort of really interesting area when it comes to that kind of localised um, uh, data. Um, but yeah, yes, I only to agree that yes, it would be good to be able to kind of account for like, um, you know, what, what, what those look like and, and kind of tell those stories. I think that's all I've got to say. I'm going to just ramble otherwise, but I look forward to hearing, hearing about your, your produce. And I also just want to have a shout out to another magazine that has, I've just arrived in my um, mailbox today. Um, by Young Farmers Connect and that's actually a really like I've just had a really quick flip through but that looks like it's an amazing resource in terms of what we're talking about here in terms of understanding the makeup of 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 smaller scale um, production and um, so yeah Young Farmers Connect I'm really looking forward to kind of getting my teeth into that and kind of understanding more about who's doing what in the area. And that, that issue focus on fe- focuses on female farmers and it does have an article about food labs, so get, on, get a copy. <laughs> can, I, can I go to Kelly's question down the bottom of our, of our screen, paying attention to metabolic relations, um, what species in the food system need to flourish, but also attending carefully to unwanted elements. What are the ethics of exclusion? What a great comment. Um, Kelly, are you there? Can we see you and say hi? Hi. Uh, hi, Alana. Um, yeah, uh, I guess I was thinking about, um, you know, that we, in order to produce food, we need to nourish other species. We have to, to feed them and take care of them in different ways. Um, and that might be taking care of the soil or taking care of the appetites of animals or the needs of plants. Um, but, of course, there's always things that we don't want. Um, you know, we don't necessarily want possums kind of, ravaging our tomato patch or slugs or, um, you know, I guess bigger, um, you know, bigger species that are kind of unwanted within the system. So Mm. um, how do we kind of think about those practices of exclusion, sometimes killing? um, And what are the sort of politics of that? And how do we go about doing that? When do we go about doing that? I think those are, those are all really important questions in thinking about, um, what it means to care for one species or community, but then that can be, I guess, perhaps lethal or, uh, mm. you know, deadly for others. And so those are, I think, mm. important questions to think about. I, I think, um, yeah, that's really um, beautifully kind of articulated and, and really, really important. And um, I've just um, started my new role with Soils for Life, but I kind of like, have been in that lovely stage where you're just sort of reading, reading, reading and kind of engaging with everything. And, and, um, and actually this, what this speaks to me about is um, the kind of, I think the regenerative agriculture approach, kind of mentality, meth and, you know, series of, tool, well, series of tools that kind of support a, a kind of a, an approach is quite interesting there because it's about less about getting rid of (laughs) certain species and more about biodiversity and a kind of like a flourishing on a community level and a flourishing that's about um, productivity that 
that's read in terms of social, economic and ecological. And there's a, a really interesting conversation that um, uh, I was reading about up on, on the website for Soils of Life and around kind of farmers and how they're negotiating some of the um, uh, the government schemes um, that are available to them, so around kind of biodiversity um, and there are issues there around kind of limitations to what, you know, they're able to, to the schemes they're able to um, partake in because they do this sort of regenerative farming where they are going to have kind of cattle going into places where in these biodiversity schemes they're not allowed to. They've got to kind of lock the, the land off for that. So I think it's a very real-life kind of um, thing that's playing out in, in our various policies around, um, you know, environmental and, and social care and how they're kind of quite siloed in that approach. That was a great question. I didn't realise that it was that Kelly Kelly. Hi, Kelly. <laughs> now, our last question before we might have to wrap it up is one that, again, has come up in the chat which we might might try to try to address quickly, Kate, but it's a really good one from Laura. Um, and it's based on her own experience of gardening and how it makes her feel good, which I think a lot of us can relate to. Her question is, did you find that people had experience of time and meaning shifts as they became connected into food or gardening, farming, caring networks? Hi, Kate. Yeah. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Wonderful talk. It's so exciting to hear about what you've been doing. Um, I'm partly meaning time, but I'm also yeah. meaning, I guess, other meanings. So yeah. I'm thinking about how, say, if I'm in work mode, and I can sometimes just not really give a shit about very much, to be honest, <laughs> which is terrible, right? But then if I kind of get out into, like, gardening or if I'm in a situation where there's folks caring for others, I just say, oh, actually, actually, that publication, whatever, doesn't matter. Or that grant, oh, no, actually, and kind of what matters actually feels mm. like it shifts when I'm in those mm. relationships. Mm -mm. But it needs to be part of the, the doing, mm. um, it mm -mm. seems. But I don't, I would love to hear any thoughts about whether, yeah, either time shifts for people or yeah. kind of meaning shifts more broadly yeah look I don't feel like I'm qualified to speak for um those pe people because um it's not something that kind of came up through the conversations we had like various shifts in you know thinking and doing came up around kind of practices and and um but in terms of I think what you're getting at like I'm maybe not um haven't sort of seen those, in, but I would love to hear from others on the team and, you know, maybe particularly Katrina and, and Jamie if you have any insights there. But through the research, it kind of was a little bit beyond the scope of what we were talking about. But, gosh, mm. I'd love to go back and talk to people about that. <laughs> I think I'm going to add that question to our yeah. research agenda for papers <laughs> because I think it's a really, it's a really good one. Yeah. But unfortunately, we've run out of time and um, it's such a wonderful discussion. I can assure everyone that we will share as much information from today's talk as possible and it will also be it will also be published as a podcast. So you'll be able to listen again and pick up some more points. We've left you with a great reading list. You've got Counter Magazine and you've got uh, Young Farmers Connect. The issue is called The Changing Face of Farming. 
hence about women farmers. You've got Sand Talk, how Indigenous thinking can change the world to um, put in your Christmas stocking. And um, I just want to thank everybody for being here, but especially Dr. Kate Johnson, who's done a beautiful job. And um, I don't think actually anyone could have done it better. You're a very special researcher, really great collaborator and a wonderful friend. And I want to thank you for all the things that you've done for, well, the Food Lab team, but more broadly for the Foodscape, because we all know it needs a lot of care, definitely. So you've been listening to Building Communities of Care for Food Systems Change. Thank you to Sydney Environment Institute for hosting another wonderful event. And we look forward to seeing you in 2022.